Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to, hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. A little bit of a different ace of the day for all of you listeners. Of course, we continue to be brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. And remember, you can get in on the action by going to dkng.co slash cracked open. But rather than have Max Rothman or Jamie McDonald join me on the day to run through day six's picks, we're going to do something a little bit different. We are joined today by someone I have been a fan of for quite a bit of time. Of course, many of you listeners know by now, dating back to, I don't know, end of high school throughout college. I really got into challenger tennis, college tennis. That's when my love for the sport was truly fostered. Uh, The amount of time I spent watching streams in college, the amount of times I should have been listening to my professor. And honestly, I would look up every now and then, you know, every so often they throw in an eye clicker question. And if you're not paying good enough attention, you're not going to get those eye clicker questions. Right, You're not going to do well enough on your participation score, and if you don't do well in your participation score, you have to take your exams more seriously. Not saying I don't take my exams seriously, but if you nail participation in a lot of these courses, you build yourself a margin for error, and ultimately, as tennis fans, we know how important it is to have a margin for error. Anyways, we're going to do something a little bit different. On today's podcast, we are joined by someone who I spent far too much of my as an adolescent years, I don't know, my college years reading his work. If you are a fan of getting in on the action, you are certain to have come across his predictions, his previews. I, of course, am talking about Steve from Ace Previews. Ace Previews, of course, Ace underscore Previews on Twitter, an account I'm sure many of you know well if you are glued into tennis Twitter. Steve's been doing this for about 10 years now, and again, one of the best in the business. We bring him on the show to not only talk about the day six picks, but talk about his preferred methods for tennis gambling? What are the things he finds most valuable? Is it spreads? Is it picking winners? Is it over-unders? Is it totals? Where does he find value when he goes to make his picks? And of course, if you read his work, you may know some of these answers already, but if you don't, it's a really great conversation as, again, we try and get better and better at this as we move into not just the U.S. Open, not just the French Open, but you know throughout the 2021 season as well because we are so excited about this DraftKings partnership. We could see it going for quite a bit of time. So, of course, again, we have Steve on to not only talk about the day's picks, but to uh, talk about some larger picture things when you're looking at getting in on the action. Of course, for any of you listeners who are looking to get in on the action, be sure to do it with our friends at DraftKings. And if you haven't already set up your sportsbook account, you can go take advantage of their limited time offer by doing so now. Here's how it works. You're going to create your DraftKings sportsbook account and make a deposit. DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up 
to $500. From there, you're going to make your first bet. And DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash cracked open to play. That's dkng.co slash cracked open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. You must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonus is in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for more details. But all right, without further ado, today's, again, uh, conversation gets a little bit on the longer side. If you want to just get to your picks, you have business to attend to, you have tennis to watch, go to our YouTube channel. You can see my picks for Ace of the Day, Super Producer Daniel West stuff uh creating a beautiful video as he always does you can hear the one minute version you can hear the six minute version where i focus specifically on u.s open day six but without further ado you came here for our gsp ace of the day so here is my conversation with steve from ace previews Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Joining us now on the Great Shot Podcast is a man I have been a fan of for quite a bit of time. If you have been into tennis gambling, you are certain to have read his work at some point. And honestly, if you just want good preview content, a look ahead at the matches you're going to see each and every day on the Pro Tour, this is a man you should be reading. Of course, I don't need to introduce him as his Twitter following far exceeds mine. But Steve from Ace Previews, hey, great shot. It is great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, not too bad. It's been a a, a bit of a, a long couple of days, I guess, trying to adjust to the the time zones of tennis on the other side of the world as I'm based in Melbourne, Australia. So I normally prefer things in January where it's a little bit easier for me to, you know, do my work in a respectable time frame. So yeah, it's been a little bit of a challenge, but look, it's just good to have competitive tennis back and everyone, you know, all eyes on, on New York at the moment. No, I heard a rumor that they actually canceled the season because they were like, we can't make it this difficult on Steve. Like, let's just stop after Australia. <laughs> it's way easier for everyone if we just make this decision. But yeah, I can only imagine what you're going through. Actually, let's just start there because your preview content is always ready to rock and roll day in, day out. What is your daily schedule looking like right now? How late are you staying up? How early are you get, you know, getting up to write these previews to get to be able to watch some of this tennis? I guess for me, look, there's some pros and cons of having the tennis on overnight that, you know, if I, if I do miss some of it and need to catch up that, you know, I can then spend the, the regular daytime hours writing the content as opposed to trying to multitask too much. So, look, it, it, it kind of varies a bit day to day. I, I generally don't like to kind of get the computer out and, and start writing until I definitely know what I'm going to be writing about. 
because um, otherwise, yeah, my multitasking skills aren't the best if um, <laughs> if I'm watching tennis at the same time. Um, but yeah, look, it's depending on what matches are on. Um, you know, it's it's play in New York starts at one a.m. So it's a do you stay up and catch the first match or do you kind of cut your losses and then see what time you wake up, you know, 3, 4 a.m. and, you know, see what's on. But look, it's been a little bit tricky the last couple of days with, you know, there was that rain delay and, you know, getting up, I think, was it for Zero versus Manorino kind of backfired on me a bit with that one being delayed a couple of hours. So, yeah, it's yeah. been, you know, we, we make the best of, you know, the situation. But look, it, it's been a little bit, little bit tricky. But look, I'd rather that than have no tennis to write about. That's for sure. Yeah, no, you talk about multitasking. I'm lucky when I don't have to spell check the tweet and have to delete it and be like, nope, that didn't make any <laughs> sense. Let's try that one again while I'm watching yep. the tennis. Yeah, so completely understand you there. And obviously, again, you have been up to date, day in, day out, offering your picks, offering different advice for those who are interested in getting in on the action themselves. And, you know, shameless plug here. I apologize, Steve. This is why they pay me the moderate bucks. Uh, <laughs> but it's because we, you know, you can get in on the action with us by going going to our friends at DraftKings. Go to dkng.co slash cracked open. Get in on this Australian open action. Australian open. See, now it's contagious. Uh, This U.S. open (laughs) action. uh, And obviously play along with us. Take advantage of DraftKings limited time offer. But, you know, again, since I have you here, there are a lot of things I want to talk about. I want to get into the weeds on tennis gambling. I want to talk about some of the little things, things that we might not focus on as much here on our shows, but I know you focus on and you can offer our listeners some perspective but just quickly if you were to give me I mean don't limit yourself look if it's a good story don't hold back but give us the synopsis how does Steve at Ace Previews become Steve at Ace Previews oh it's been yeah I will try and summarize it because it is a little bit of a long story <laughs> um I guess you know growing up and through school I always you know, I've played tennis since I was three or four years old um I was a I was a ball boy at the Australian Open growing up so you know got to see Federer and Nadal kind of in their peak up close which was um you know something I'll never forget um yeah growing up but then you know loving tennis but also having an affinity for numbers and maths I guess through through schooling and then my profession that I followed and you know that the career path that I went with didn't really use either of those things so it was kind of a natural progression to kind of go into, oh, I was watching enough tennis and, you know, I could look at probability and odds and kind of get a, a fair read of what was going on. And I think one day I just thought, you know what, I may as well start, you know, putting my thoughts together and see if there's anything to this. And I think that was in 2012. And here we are now. It's kind of evolved and changed quite a bit over the last eight years. But yeah, it's um, it's a... It's been an interesting journey, but I don't think you ever stop learning with it. It's been um, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, and I mean, just a little story for you. Um, you know, mom and dad, I know, or mom listens to every episode, so mom earmuffs, but spring term 2015, so I must have been, let me think, 13, that, yeah, that was going into my junior year of college. A lot of that spring term, you know, you have uh, the French Open and just so much action in the summer, a lot of time spent reading Ace Previews, so uh, obviously <laughs> I very much appreciated that work, so thank you very much. Um, but, you know, you talk about having a mathematics uh background and I think that's a really important place for us to start because people who listen to our aces of the day they know that I try and integrate as many statistics as much analytical quantitative evidence as I can but it's very hard in tennis to find many available stats I certainly well I'm you know 
I have an ego. You're going to learn this about me, Steve. So I'm not going to say I couldn't put together a formula because I like to think I could do anything I put my mind to, but I certainly have not put together a formula that may, you know really guides me towards my decision. Some of it's math. Some of it is instinct. For you, mm-hmm. what does that ratio look like? How much of it is analytical? How much of it is you're watching the tennis and you just have a feel for the matchups? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination. I, I think it kind of ebbs and flows a bit and can change, I guess, over time. I think particularly with, with Grand Slams, I guess, in an example, I think because there's more statistics available to people, you know, that you can kind of grab off the the Grand Slam websites or, you know, things like winners and unforced errors and, you know, things are just a little bit more readily available. It, it gives more, um, I guess, purpose and, and weight to them. And I use them probably more in Grand Slams more than anything. Um, but I think overall, I think it's just having that awareness of particular matchup styles and and how you know what what you perceive to be value. I think a lot of people will gravitate towards kind of game lines and and totals if they you know. Whereas I'm kind of one that who leans to you know I'm comfortable taking a big you know underdog price or plus money price to you know if if I perceive that as as value because you know. Using as as an example from the other day, I think I went one win and four losses, but the the one win was possible to beat Ryanich. So when something like that happens, it you know can help kind of even things out or, or put you into the green. But yeah, it, it's it is very I think particularly with tennis being such a year round sport, and you know there's tennis you know in, well not this year, but in a regular year you've got tennis you know pretty much every day you wake up from January through to early December you can kind of get, it gets a little bit all consuming. So I think you need to kind of know where your spots are, know how to, know how to pick them and also just have an awareness of, of player matchup styles, but also how much tennis they've been playing. And, you know, it's an international sport. There's a lot of travel. There's a lot of other factors to consider. You can't just look at the stats all the time, in my opinion. No, I completely agree with you. A lot of it has to be by feel. If you know someone's lost four weeks in a row or if you know that someone has played seven weeks in a row and they've had a lot of success but their body just wearing down, these are all things that you're not going to find a number for specifically. But I am curious and I, I want to get – I'll let you know you know, the numbers I turn to. Are there any specific stats out there, specific numbers that you think are underappreciated as you go to make your picks? Is there an ace preview? formula and i won't ask you to reveal it but does it exist out there there isn't a formula as such there's more just things that i will look to mm-hmm. and look i can use an example of, of a couple of um things across the first week of the u.s open that you know something that that, that is key is first serve percentage I, I think is something that is overlooked in a lot of instances there are some players that and you know we can use alexander's rev as a as an example, you know, if he's going to put 80% of his first serves in, he's going to be very difficult to beat. But, you know, it, it's about whether he can actually maintain that across an extended period of time. He could do it in Melbourne and made his way to a semi-final. But, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of variables with that. But a, another one is looking at, um, obviously, break point conversion, which is probably one of the, the key things to, to keep an eye on. That, you know, if you've got a player who just cannot convert break points, going to make life very difficult for you because that's obviously the aim of the game is one to look after your own serve but if you can't break it the other end unless you're a john isner or someone similar who has a very very good serve it's it's going to be a bit of a recipe for disaster 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with those numbers. I'm someone who also looks to look at last 10 matches, you know. Have mm-hmm. you been able to string two, three successful performances in a row and gauge where we're at in a tournament and say, okay, you've never made it past this round? Obviously, things like career head-to-head against a specific opponent, matchups. I, I like to go and look at their career records on surfaces as well. Those mm-hmm. are all obvious things, but things, you know, that are definitely worthwhile to look at. Uh, again, I want to get into day six, but just some rapid fire things in general in your opinion you're doing this you you talk about it you go one in four but you make the big risk it hits so it pays off what is a successful hit percentage in this game in your per in your opinion because you know you look at the ace of the day we've had some really good days we've had some not as good days what's a successful hit percentage in your opinion just anything positive if you're at 50.1 it's a win I think it, it depends on what you're playing and what markets you're you're working your way into. So I guess for me and, and looking just over my stats from the restart and I, I guess you know from the US Open in general. So through those those first five days, I've had twenty wins and eighteen losses, but that has carried over to plus twelve point five eight units. So mm-hmm. it really depends on what you're playing. You know, you can see some people will put out, you know, that they've got seventeen of their last, you know, eighteen selections right, but you know, three of them are Djokovic to win, you know, just just to win at a dollar one or, you know, minus 10,000 or whatever you want to call it from an odds perspective, then, you know, that there isn't as much weight to it. So I think keeping an eye on on what you what you are looking at and, and what odds and, and what works for you, my, my strength lies in finding, you know, plus money or those underdog unexpected wins. Um, but, you know, you don't need to hit them at, anywhere near as high a rate as, you know, playing that, that game handicap or, or totals. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it really is. We, we looked at it. I think we've bet a total. And it's so funny. Our super producer today said, why do you call it units? And I was like, well, if you read Steve, you would know why I call it units. Um, and so it was a nice little exchange the two of us had. But, um, you know, we, we looked at it. I think we've bet something like 14 units, which for us, you know, we're not rolling in the big dough. We're still in $10 increments, and we're mm. up 60 on that. And so, you know, that that's a win. That, that's yeah, for us. We're exactly. like, yeah, you know, up six units. Absolutely. Count that as a win. And, yeah. Yeah, if you do have the big bucks, you can scale that however you deem fit. But um, yeah, you look, you're never going to be 100% and you're going to trick yourself into doing things. For me, I just have this affinity for parlays. I, As I mentioned, this gets back to the ego. This has really just turned into a therapy session, Steve. I got you. <laughs> you know, for our listeners, it's 1049 on a Friday night. I just was like, who might be willing to talk to me this late? And I was like, maybe Steve. Um, and so that that's the background for this podcast. But anyway, I promise there's a point at the end of this sentence. For me, it's parlays. I just, I love them. I just think I can pick winners. I'm like, I feel good about these four matches. I don't really get how over-unders, totals, those sorts of things, spreads work. Let me just pick the winners I like. And that's sometimes when I get myself in trouble, but other times it works out great. And we're a glass half full type of team here at Cracked Rackets. Since I know you do know about the nuances, things such as spreads, over-unders, totals, I want to get into those now. When you are making picks, are you usually looking for match winners or are you looking at the little things, spreads, over-unders, totals? How do you divide up the sorts of picks you're making? I will generally, probably the the three markets that I would generally be most involved in are, so I'll, I'll pick match winners, particularly if it's, you know, the, the underdog, um, so them or the spread, um, or taking the, the spread of the favorite. I don't generally, I don't do a lot of parlays or, 
or doubles or trebles or or whatever you want to refer to it as. But look, it, it's it depends on the players and depends on the matchup. Um, I don't generally get involved in in totals too much because I feel like my strength is in picking a side um, as opposed to to length of match. Um, it really, yeah, it really does come down to you know I'll, I'll look at a particularly through you know spreads of plus three point five or, or plus four point five games in a in a best of three match um you know plus 4.5 is a bit of a danger game spread that i generally avoid at the plus or the minus just because particularly in the men's game it's so reliant on who wins the toss and who serves at the start that you know if if the favorite serves first a 6-3-6-4 is quite achievable but if the the underdog is serving first, then all of a sudden they need an extra break of serve for you know no difference at all in the actual matchup. Um, but yeah, look, I feel like with, with a lot of my um, with a lot of my picks, you know, you're looking at you know if you're playing them at plus three hundred or plus four hundred, you need to acknowledge that they won't win every time. But it's it's trying to look at you know out of if these two players were to play a hundred times, how many times do you think they would they would come away with the win and in a lot of these instances that I, I see more value at taking that plus 300 or plus 400 um, as opposed to taking them to, you know, cover their spread more regularly. So, you know, I'll, I'll kind of oppose big hitters who, you know, you think that they might either, either win, you know, quite comfortably or, you know, it's going to be a bit of a grind and they might, you know, end up losing. So it, it's all relative to the players, but they're probably the markets that I generally look at. Mm-hmm. No, I, I really appreciate that. The way you uh, framed it is picking a side. I feel like that is way easier because, you know, let's look at a match we're going to talk about later, a match like Hatchinov and uh, and Demon Hour tomorrow. And for mm-hmm. me, that's a match that just screams four sets. Like it just is a four yep. set match. And so, you know, I was playing with the over-unders and, you know, on DraftKings, it's cool because you can get different games, different unders. And I think it was like minus 190 for uh, over 36 and a half. And I was like 36 six and a half you're doing the match I'm like that feels about right but then I was like well wait what if Demon Hour blows him out I was like well I don't really think that's gonna happen what if Hatchinov blows him out well I don't really think that's gonna happen but there's just such a wide range of outcomes it's like even if there's a six percent chance that it's like there's a six one set thrown in there then your game spread is really in trouble and so I agree with you completely I'm someone who also likes to pick sides the underdog thing is where we're going to disagree I mean, and and we're, uh, respectfully, of course, where mm-hmm. I come in is because for tennis, you're you're so right. So much of it is feeling. So much of tennis is matchup dependent. A guy who is 70 in the world could just match up perfectly with the guy who's 19 in the world, or it could just be on a surface that you know per, is suited for the 70 player in the world, and that mm-hmm. 19 player in the world is in trouble. And so. Sometimes, you know, it's just so much by feel, and that's for me where parlays come in. Yep. Why am I an idiot for being so pro-parlay? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think... I wouldn't call you an idiot for, for being pro-parlay. I think... You can. They, no, no, but they, <laughs> they do have their place that, it, you know, if you find value at those particular spots, and, and you know, there is value in, in some instances. Um, you know, if I were to use parlays early in Grand Slams, it's probably the, the place to do it. I, I'm not as interested in kind of the, you know, the ATP 250s or perhaps tournaments where you're not as sure of motivation levels or travel schedules or just general, you know, fitness overall that you know that these players, when they turn up to a Grand Slam, they're going to give 100%. 
So I, I think there is a place, there's certainly a place for them, assuming that you can, I guess, justify that, you know, they are, say, minus 300, that you feel comfortable that that price itself is, is value. And, you know, if you're, if you're parlaying that with another leg that is also value, then you'll have obviously, a, you know, odds that you would perceive as, as value for the parlay as well. So I think there's certainly a place for it. Um, it's just a matter of kind of picking your spots. And I think because I'm very subjective and look for spots where players are going to be fatigued, I'm generally someone who kind of gravitates the other way. Mm-hmm. No, and I think you made a really good point, and this is something I wanted to get into, the sorts of tournaments where certain plays are better than others. I agree so much at the 250 level or the challenger level or whatever level it is for tennis, you know, women's mm-hmm. or men's that suits you. It's about momentum. It's about really who comes in hot. And, you know, yep. I agree with you. When parlays have their place, I think no more so than the first round of a Grand Slam, right? Because yep. there are uh, 64 first-round matches for men and women, and a lot of those odds are going to be lobs. And so just, and again, please, please, please be candid. If you don't like it, just say, I don't like it. And I guess I have high, you know, in retrospect, it was a winner. So you would like it. But like uh, today for our ace of the day, I took Zverev, uh, Osaka, Kanteve, and Martich parlayed the four of them together. It was plus 114. Now, obviously, Osaka almost lost. Obviously, Zverev tested but looked pretty comfortable in that. You know, when you have four matches and you only get plus 114 odds, is that just mathematically not very valuable? Um, I think it, it depends a bit on, on the players that are involved. So for me, for for example, I was on Manorino today at plus 480, mm-hmm. I think it was. So... You know, I, I thought that this was a bit of a danger spot for Zverev. But, yeah, it, it, it really does depend. You know, you, you're looking at, you know, tried and tested players there and, you know, Asaka, for example, who you, you know that, you know, things might get a little bit tight, but you, you know that she's going to more often than not pull through in those moments. I'd probably be looking for a little bit more, you know, if it was four legs or, or maybe try and cut one leg out there and, and reduce it. But, look, it, it's been a, a fairly favorite run tournament so far from from my perspective so it has been a little bit tricky to to find value and you're not always going to find value mm-hmm. no i agree so i'm going to give you one i have for tomorrow mukova sure. mi- minus 360 over kirstea with mertens minus 530 over mcnally and then team minus 455 over chillich now it's not the greatest of odds minus 118 so 20 dollars wins 1717 but uh you know as you look at you know a your thoughts on that bet but b i feel like as you look at the second week of a slam unless you're just picking outright winners it, it's really hard to find good value yeah i'd agree with that i i think I would agree with the the two WTA legs of that. I think they're, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they've both looked very solid across the um across the last couple of weeks. In particular, Mertens, who you know continues to fly under everyone's radar, even though she's proven herself on on every surface. Mm-hmm. I, and this is probably me kind of letting slip of of what I've written about for tomorrow as well. That <laughs> I I'm I'm actually going to back Chilich. Ooh. Tomorrow, at uh, what was he sitting at? I think it was plus three eighty. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of people have jumped off the bandwagon a little too soon with with Chilich. Um, th- there's a couple of you know, Tim hasn't really convinced me over his his last three matches, and you know, just watching his frustration at times in in his round two match as well, 
in positions where he just didn't need to be frustrated um, caught me off guard a little bit. And I guess there's that also that thought in the, the back of my mind that, you know, if Chilich did kind of get ahead or, you know, try and, you know, or, or cause an upset, there is the silver lining for for team that, you know, if he were to lose tomorrow, that he can still get back to his Austrian tournament next week, which he was going to play in favour of the Olympics before that was postponed. So, look, there's a couple of interesting dynamics with that one, but I thought, you know, Chilich, I mean, he's found a way. And one thing that's really stood out to me of late with him is, you know, I keep thinking back to his Australian Open match with Bautista Agut, where he won in five sets. And, you know, that I think the form's still there. I, I think he he plays to the level of his opponent at times and can be caught out. But I, I, I don't know. I just have a bit of a funny feeling about him tomorrow. Yeah, so the Kitzbühel thing just scared me unbelievably. Yeah, the fact that he would just be like, you know what, I'm going to go back to Austria. I'm going to play my event on the clay. I'm going to get ready for the French Open. That is Conspiracy Theory 101, and I love it. <laughs> I'm all in on that. That is – that's why they pay you the big bucks. Um Oh, now you have me rethinking. So here would be my counter is that, yeah, these courts were fast, but Kudla should have beaten Chilich in round one. Gombos, that 6-1 first set, that looked way too easy for him. And I agree with you. For Dominic Team, this surface isn't ideal for him, although we have learned Arthur Ashe is playing slower than some mm-hmm. of the outer courts, and that's where that match is going to be on tomorrow. But, you know, much like Hatchinov versus Sinner earlier in the tournament, which and much I think it was what Zverev Nakashima earlier in the tournament, there's one more. I'm forgetting where it was one of those prove-it matches. Um, I just feel like this is a prove-it one for Dominic Team. This is a match he absolutely needs to win if he's going to be taken seriously as a slam contender, you know, on every non-Wimbledon slam. And it's just at this point of his career, Marin Cilic isn't playing well enough to do enough things to hurt Dominic Team. And so I just keep playing the match out in my head. What does a Chilich win look like. Yeah, he's going to have to serve really well, right? 65%, yep. 70% probably on the first serve. And team's going to have to look like he did in that first round at the Western Southern where he's just spraying all over the place. But I don't know. I haven't seen enough from the Chilich serve in these first two matches to be confident in him. I guess my question would be, have you? Um, I think I've fallen into the trap of... <laughs> looking too much into Chilich's early rounds in, in past tournaments. And even when he's, he's gone on to deep runs at Grand Slams, he never really dominates from the outset. Um, I think, obviously, he's he's found a way. And, and you know, obviously, you know, the, the comeback in round one against Kudla was was impressive. But, you know, to, to come through that particularly tight moment in the third set against Gombos in round two was, was what caught my eye. I don't know. And then looking through the stats for team... You know, I think, having written this up earlier, I think his opponents had 38 more unforced errors than winners across mm-hmm. the the five sets that he's played. Um, you know, so, you know, we're not talking forced errors, we're talking unforced within that. So, you know, and, and looking at team's effort last week, I'm, I'm pretty much going to completely ignore that um, against Krijinovic. Mm-hmm. I think... You know, I would prefer this to have been played in the heat of the day off Arthur Ashe. I think that does play into his, you know, the, the night session on the, the slower court does does help team. Um, but, you know, if I was looking at equivalent odds um, as an interchangeable leg for there, I'd probably be looking towards kind of Berrettini to defeat Rude, I think, at, at what is fairly similar odds, compared, you know, considering what I've seen from both of those players this week. Mm-hmm. See... 
It's an interesting one. I have Berrettini root in the stay away simply because Berrettini's been good, and you think in theory, quick surface, his game, it favors him. But, uh, you know, Casper Root has just been locked in physically. I think mentally that was a huge win for him in round one. And I'm not saying he's going to mm-hmm. win the match because I agree with you. I am leaning Berrettini, but that one scares me. And Dominic team, a little bit lower odds. And I'm more confident in team beating Chilich than I am in Berrettini being, beating Root for whatever reason that may be. And so I just saw mm-hmm. a little bit more value in team. Again, that's one of those subjective measurements. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. That, that's what that's what it's all about at the end of the day and i think that's where you know if, if you do it for long enough and you feel comfortable in your ability then you can find those edges and find those those spots so i'm not i'm not saying that chilich is going to come out and you know absolutely dominate against team but i just felt like it at those odds of you know the in the plus 400 type range that you know i, th- I think he wins this more than one in five Mm-hmm. That's fair. What for me? I always say any match in the minus two hundred to three hundred range, it's in the vomit zone. I don't want any piece of the favorite. <laughs> I don't want any piece of the underdog. Just keep me away from it. What are mm-hmm. the odds you find the most value for in terms of you know uh, winners? You know, in terms of picking uh, match winners. Um, I think for me, it's, it's probably more that kind of pick them or plus one hundred through to plus mm-hmm. one fifty, plus two hundred, which would fit in quite well with, I guess opposing your players that you would deem in the vomit section so <laughs> it, it's it's finding those those particular spots where you know things are going to be um you know where you feel like players have have enough of a chance there that you know it's, it's not going to be a complete blowout and you're not expecting a miracle to occur um but you know that there's enough there's enough potential there and you know if there's enough little subjective quirks or stats that that work in your favor that you know it, it's if you can find consistent players in that range, then you know it's a it's a good spot to to target with some small staking to to see how you go. Mm-hmm. Well, then with that in mind, let's get into the stayaways I have for day six because there are a bunch of yep. matches in the vomit zone. Um, and again, mm-hmm. I apologize if this gives away anything you wrote. I will highly encourage again everyone go follow Steve at Ace underscore Previews on Twitter. Go read all of his stuff as well. It's all so again so well done. You can hear this and more without me interrupting him with corny jokes. But a match <laughs> that is just squarely in the vomit zone for me. Hatchinov surprising in my opinion plus one. 35 here against demon hour who's minus 167 what's your thought on that match hmm it's it's one that i i'm probably going to sit sit out as well mm-hmm. I, I think you know demon or it it's hard to know where he's at i, I know he had a, an injury i think it was a thigh issue mm-hmm. um in one of the exhibition tournaments you know six weeks or so ago um, you know, he's a player that really enjoys spending a lot of time on court and kind of developing, you know, getting into that rhythm and, you know, plays a high volume type of, of schedule at times. But, you know, it, this one, there's there's so many variables in it, I guess, in, in this particular matchup. And I think Kashinov, you know, he, his best is exceptional. But how how long are we going to see him at his best over the five sets is is really the question here. He is starting to look a little bit more consistent, and I've been impressed with him since, you know, across 2020 as well. I think his his match with Nick Kyrgios at the Australian Open was probably one of the matches of the year, um, in in terms of just general excitement and you know down to the wire um, performance from both of them. 
I just think looking at the odds, I think Demon was just a little bit short, but I just don't know if I can I can trust Kashinov to be as consistent as he needs to be in this particular matchup. Mm-hmm. No, I say this lovingly, Steve. Your Australian side is showing with that Kyrgios Hatchinov best match of the year. Get out of here with that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, look, why I like Hatchinov so much is for every reason you just mentioned. Played, uh, you know, a grinded out first round win over Sinner, but then bounced back with the three comfortable first uh, three sets we needed to see from him. Straight set win over Kuznetsov. For Demon Hour, you're mm-hmm. right. Yeah, watching that Gasquet match, he won it. But it wasn't spectacular. It's not like he did anything crazy. Gasquet just couldn't really hurt him. Hatchinov mm-hmm. will be able to hurt Demon Hour. And so that's why for me in this match, you know, DraftKings, again, at 36.5 for the over-under, you get minus 195 if you take the over. Excuse me, 35.5. I like that. I just don't see a world where this one doesn't go four sets. This is one of those rare ones where I can't pick a winner, but I can see exactly how the match is going to play out. So I feel comfortable no, with that one. That. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yep. All right. Lock that one in then. Feel good making it an ace of the day. All right. Again, Francis Tiafo on this one, who I'm not going to lie. Personally, first round, I had a Tiafo murray parlay, and I am now balder because of it. But I am a winner (laughs) as well because of it. In this match, Tiafo plus 133, Fucevic minus 165. Stay away for you, or do you like one of them in this one? It's probably going to be a stay away for me just because... You know, they're both coming off five setters. It's going to be interesting to see where they're both at physically. Um, you know, Tiafo was was great against Milman late in that match. Um, but, you know, so was Fuchovic against Dimitrov. So, you know, with such little tennis having been played, you know, it, it's hard to kind of gauge. And, you know, a lot of players have struggled backing up off five setters. So I'll probably sit this one out because there's too many things to, you know, there's too many variables that are, you know, hard to, to quantify in this one. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. Well, then two underdogs I like, and here we're talking value, so I know you're going to enjoy this. If I were, And I'm not going to tell you which one I like more, but I very much like one of these picks. Jabour yep. plus 170 over Kennan, and then Alize Cornet plus 285 over Keys. Which of those two, if you're going to make a play on one tomorrow, do you pick? Well, I am making a play on one of them as an underdog. Mm-hmm. I Wait, can I, I guess? Yep. I think you, like me, favor Alize Cornet. I don't think you're going to get baited into Jabour. Correct. Oh, let's go. All right, make the case for Cornet for everyone. So I, I sat there and I looked at the odds and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to wait for the order of play to come out because I think Cornet can struggle you know, in, in warm, humid conditions in the middle of the day. And particularly, you know, Keys can handle those conditions well, but, you know, on the faster you know, outside courts would be, you know, a little bit tougher to beat. The fact that they're playing on Arthur Ashe at night, I think really favours Cornet. You know, we saw Cornet play very well in similar conditions against Kennan last week, and Keyes played in similar conditions as well against Jabour and really struggled. Um, the the plus, it was a plus 250 or whatever it is that the Cornet's at looks, looks to be value-based on what I've seen from her over the last couple of weeks. I mean, her loss was to Azarenka, and, you know, that that form's stacking up pretty well at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, 
No, I mean, look, for Alize Cornet, it's the fact that, as you mentioned, good wins for her over Laura Davis and uh, Bonaventure in Cincy, as, or Western Southern, as you mentioned. Good win for her over McNally, who we see in the third round. Good win for her over Kennan, obviously. And then a good performance for her against Azarenka. You know, even yep. dating back to earlier in the year, she made round of 16 in St. Petersburg. Good win for her over Ostapenko and Zivana Reva uh, in Australia. You know, she lost to Donna Vekic, but that was second round match. So she just sticks around. Good win for over Van Utvenik earlier in the year as well. And for mm-hmm. Madison Keys, it's been anything but a consistent year for her, as you mentioned. You know, tough first round in Jabour uh, last week, but she ended up losing that match. In Australia, pretty good wins over Roos and Castakina, but lost to Sakari, you know, in Brisbane. I guess she did make the final, but that was so long ago. But it's just, you know, we haven't seen that much out of Madison Keys. And we know Alize Cornet is pretty match tough right now so I agree of all of the underdogs on the board today I would say this is the one I like most and and part of that this kind of goes back to my conversation before is that I feel like Cornet at that plus 250 range I see that as more value than taking her at the the game spread that's um 3.5 I think it's sitting you know, it's kind of sitting around that 3.5 to 4 I feel like you know when you can pair and and looking at it it feels like a keys will probably either win quite comfortably if she gets into a rhythm she is going to be hard to stop but you know i, I would rather take cornet at plus 250 you know over a number of match simulations than than be taking her at you know plus 3.5 at you know minus 110 or minus 115 Mm-hmm. Because to your point, even if Keys does run away, or even if it's a three-set match, the world where Keys wins seven five six one or five seven six one six two, and you're just like, "Yep, that makes sense." She found her form. The serve started clicking for her. I agree. I think this is a pick match, not a spread match. Uh, let me just mm-hmm. throw one more at you. Do you want to hear me make the case for JJ Wolf? Go for it. All right, there really is no case. That's my case. Don't pick in that match. Take Daniil Medvedev because he has looked awfully good. But, you know, I, I really do enjoy watching J.J. Wolf as well. And so, you know, again, I'm I'm on the Kennan side of Jabour. Minus 215, not the greatest odds. But, you know, sometimes you just got to build a little bit of equity. And I just think Kennan is a— per, or, Kennan's just a particularly, I don't want to say bad matchup for Jabour, but she just takes away everything Jabour does well. The slice, the, you know, the unpredictability. Now you're playing Sophia Kennan's game. You hit a backhand slice to her. She's like, oh, we get to do this today? That's awesome. And then I just think it's a bad matchup for Jabour. I also like Donna Vekic over Perankova. I know Perankova, you know, looked good in her win over Muguruza, but, you know, hard courts have traditionally been her worst surface. And I just think Donna Vekic is rocking and rolling in. In that one, you know, I know, again, not the best value, minus 235, minus 215, but those are two winners I like. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think we'll start with, with the Kennan one. I think, yeah, I, I would be siding with her in this one. I think, you know, Jabour threw everything at her in that. The quarterfinal, wasn't it, they met in, in Melbourne? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, she threw everything at her and, and just couldn't, you know, come up with the results. And, you know, it feels a little bit like the, you know, Jabor versus Azarenka match from last week where, you know, she threw everything at her early and then, you know, Azarenka that day got on top and, and ran away with it. And I feel like this might be the, you know, we might be looking at a similar result here, but, you know, it, it's really going to take Jabor to really redline and, and find her best to to hit through Kennan. 
My other worry with Jabour is that her first serve can really go missing at times. I think it was in Lexington against... Um, who was it against? Was it Coco? I think her first serve percentage was 10% in the third set. So <laughs> it can really go missing very, very quickly. Um, and I, I agree with Donna Vekic. And I think, you know, her her scare as such in, in the first round against Pliskova, I think that set her up really well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, we saw that she she performed really well in those, in those tight moments. And I think the wins over Samson, over Muguruza have probably been a little bit overrated. And I think now we've seen a flip there from Karankova to, to now be, you know, probably under the odds because everyone's assuming that this, you know, journey is going to continue after, was it 39 months out of, out of the game? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And look, I may have had a few shekels on that Jabour over Kanepi because Jabour was at like minus 190 and that just felt way too low. But Jabour was one point away from losing that first set. And I think if she lost that first set, she like Kanepi would have been bageled in set number two or breadsticked or whatever yep. it was. And so, yeah, it's a tricky one. I just think Key, uh, you know, or Kenan, excuse me, has the patience and the variety to handle Jabour, and yeah, I agree with you. I, as great as Perankova was, I just don't know if she can do that again, and I think Vekic's level right now just higher than Garbine Muguruza, yeah. justifiably, given uh, the yeah. injuries. But all right, if I was to ask you again, last question on day six, and then I have a couple fun ones for you before I, you know, I'm, I'm sure you were like, you know, Alex, I just woke up in Australia, and the last thing I want to do is hear an American voice that isn't the play-by-play commentary of some tennis match you missed. So, <laughs> you know, my last uh, day six question, for you, Australian Open in or, or, I did it again. U.S. Open, leave it in Westoff. Uh, you know, any match I haven't mentioned that sticks out to you is something you might be interested in. Little sneak preview of what we might see on Ace Previews tomorrow. Uh, there's there's a couple of other ones. Uh, I look. I think give me give me one. one. Give me one. Yeah. All right. I will. Oh, which one will I go with? I think. Andre Rublev will have a very one-sided victory tomorrow. And whilst I did say before that totals aren't really something that I generally like to get involved with, I, I do find the the under 30.5 games for his match with Caruso tomorrow to be appealing. I just can't see Caruso maintaining the level that he has on break points through his first two rounds. He's saved 24 of 27 break points with his serve. Um, I can't find, and it's probably like you with, with Wolf and Medvedev, I just can't find mm-hmm. an angle for Caruso to get into this game comfortably. And, you know, as, as a result, it's really, you know, I, I just can't see, unless Rublev has a real concentration lapse, I can't see it not being a, a, a quite a one-sided match there. Yeah, no, I mean, even if there is a 7-6 set, 6-2, six, 6-2, two, six, two, so 8-8-16 eight, eight, plus the 7-6 plus the 13, so you're at 29, that's still under 30. I agree with you. I just, I don't know what the recipe is for Caruso now when I think Rublev's playing so well. I like that mm-hmm. pick. That's a sneaky good pick, and I don't know if you're a guy who does futures, particularly this late into an event, but just curious, as you look at this U.S. Open, are there any players, men's, women's side? I'm sure we all agree, Djokovic on the men's, but who are your favorites right now heading into week two of this? So I I didn't place a wager on Djokovic from a future standpoint because I just didn't see there being value in the, in the price. Mm-hmm. My futures on... The men's side were uh, Sitsipas, 
and Bautista are good. So I've taken kind of, I've moved away from Djokovic's quarter. Um, so taking Tsitsipas, who would potentially meet him in a, in a semi-final, and Bautista are good down in the bottom half there. Um, I'm just trying to think through back on the, on the women's side, I have, I, I've actually gone with Serena Williams. Um, I, I think the, the extra days off for her between matches has, has been a blessing for her compared to her lead in tournaments. But having said that, it's a real danger game for her tomorrow playing. I think it was on a, in the day session against Sloane Stevens. So I'll be interested to see what happens there. Um, but my, a couple of my long, longer shot selections were the, so I had Putin Saver and Cornet for the women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the men, um, I think that I have to double check. I think they're all gone. <laughs> I did have John Milner. Oh, sorry. I, I had, um, Auger Aliassim. So mm-hmm. he, he won quite well over Andy Murray and he's got a, interesting little danger game there but you know I, I thought there was a little bit of value to be had and, and it kind of ties in with I just wasn't thinking there was a, a lot of value in, in teams price for this week and that's probably why you know I have gone with Chilich as well no again completely fair I think those are both good picks I I did not pick Serena to win this event I was with Osaka I just think if healthy she's the player right now in the women's game who mm-hmm. can play better than anyone else I also think you know, for all of these women going into the event, I think Osaka was the lowest at like five to one to win this. And so you're getting yeah. value really across the board. You can make five picks and you're probably, as long as it's a smart five, there's a chance you make your money back and then some. And so, uh, yeah, it's just interesting to look at where we are at heading into week two. But some fun questions for you and then I'll let you go. Uh, in terms of sure. most valuable events, the events you enjoy getting in on the action the most, futures, challengers, 250s, 500s, internationals premieres masters slams whatever it may be what are the events you think there's the most value to gain as someone interested in getting in on the action i think that the most value is if you have an awareness of who is playing well at challenger level and who's kind of looking up to break through i think when you look at odds that have been made on matches you know if you have a federer versus nadal there's you know there's no real room to kind of find your edge, I guess, compared to those who are, who are making the, or setting the odds. Um, so I think challenger and, and being aware of what's going on at challenger level and then looking into that kind of, you know, the, that, the 250 qualifying type area, you know, if you can try and find a spot and correlate kind of form at challenger level to those 250s, um, I think that's a really good spot. I did used to like the challenges before they started giving buys to you know the some of the first round seeded players when they were traveling quite heavily um but things are a little bit different this year now that you know they're just trying to get as many people i think back on the court as possible i mean slams are the the most fun because there's the most exposure and i think there's the most interest and you know whilst i'm not a big um you know i I don't stake very big in terms of my betting I, i prefer like i i write about it because I enjoy it and you know I jump on live streams and commentate without the feed because I enjoy doing it um I think that's where there's the most exposure and interest so I think that's obviously something that that appeals to me as well yeah I want you to know I baited you into that answer that's what I was looking for you passed the test I agree it's why I've been glued to livestream.com backslash ATP for I don't know (laughs) 
seven, eight, nine years. I don't know how long it's been at this point. I, it's just, yeah, it's so many matches so frequently. There's so much, you know, tennis is that one sport. It really is 24-7, 365. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. I think if you're following the challengers closest, that's where the odds can be most lopsided. So very much agree, although I'll say it every time. If you don't get your pick right, blame yourself. Don't blame the player uh, who lost the match. It's on you for mm-hmm. uh, thinking you were smarter than the tennis gods. Um, all right, last two for you, Steve, and then I'll let you go. Let's start with the negative side of this. Your favorite player to go against on tour. If there's one guy, you see him or a gal, and you see them, you're like, I am picking against this person, and I'm going to win. That is a great question. It really it depends on the circumstance, and this is actually going to go against everything that I've just said about the, <laughs> the, the U.S. Open and my picks. <laughs> I was heavily against Serena Williams, everything outside of Grand Slams at the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it's the motivation for her. You know, she she's not playing to take Lexington titles at the moment. She's she's looking for the big one. So you know, you, you're always, almost always going to get a value price opposing her in some capacity at this stage. Um, but then again, it's it's those big hitters, and probably particularly in WTA, those bigger hitters of the ball that you know if they're very very short in the odds that i generally go well i couldn't possibly have them at, at that particular price um you know occasionally it might be you know a, a sabalenka or you know a kvitova in a on a hot and humid day i think you know can can find the, the going a little bit tough um and actually just following on from that you know i think kvitova from an outright perspective if she gets to that last eight and is all of a sudden playing night session matches and staying out of the heat i think potential to to go all the way really skyrockets Mm -hmm. no i i think that's all really good points for me i would say and i don't ever do it because it goes against my honor system but betting against an american in america americans are always going to get a boost at the u.s open always and so you're going to get an additional you know what 0.5 in your odds or whatever it might be boost and you know every yep. little percentage makes the difference so that uh-huh. I, I i think that you know again good perspective for against and again if you know it's federer in like we'll just use this term again kitzbühel round of you know 16 quarterfinals against i don't know who's a dangerous clay person teams too obvious but like I don't know, a uh, red-hot Casper Rude, like, and you just mm-hmm. know Rude's playing well, that's when, you, whenever it's a big name, you can get a little extra points if you like their opponents, but of course, that's always a bold play. The flip side, who is your favorite player to pick? You're like, I am down, and I'm down six units over these past three days. I need a sure thing. Let me go to this player. Oh, I need a sure thing. I, I went through, this is going back a couple of years ago, I went through a very heavy phase of um, taking Ernest Golbus when he went, <laughs> when he went on that run that kind of culminated with the the Roland Garros run to the the semi, um, that's probably one that that sticks out in particular. But you know, if you're wanting someone that's kind of you know you know what you're going to get, you know, it's a player like a Bautista or a Good or, or someone who you know that is going to you know that there's not too much variation between their best and their worst, and you know sometimes sometimes if you've if you've had a bad day, you just want to know that you've you've got a player that you have you know semi idea of of what they're going to produce on the day. Mm-hmm. No, I would say like an Alex Diemenauer or Simona Halep, yep. like that that sort yep. of player, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, Definitely. for sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, then, with that in mind, and I know you sort of alluded to it in terms of the odds, but the last question I'll ask you, I'll put you on the spot, Steve, your picks to win this U.S. Open. To win this U.S. Open, I will go, I'm going to stick to my guns on the the women's side and still say Serena. Mm -hmm. Um, This could could age very poorly in the space of 24 hours, (laughs) but I I would say Serena still. Um, And for the men, look, the, the obvious choice there is Novak, but you know I I would love to see a semi final of Novak and Sitsipas. Uh, I think Sitsipas, if there's someone that's going to be able to challenge him, I think Sitsipas is the one at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I I agree with you. I think coming into this event, I had five guys who I thought, or I guess six, five to six, who I thought legitimately could win the event. I thought Djokovic. I thought Team. I thought, well, you know, not in that order. I guess Djokovic, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, mm-hmm. Teams, Virev, and Raonic. And obviously, Raonic is not now knocked off, but those other five guys still remain. And I hope you know at least two of them get a shot at Djokovic because I do think, you know, Alex Virev has been hitting 137 mile per hour second serves and you're just like, you know, everyone wants, and I said this in a tweet, everyone wants to focus on, oh, you know, he's not going to win anything until he fixes the serve. Again, optimistic guy here, Steve. I just Mm -hmm. think you look at it and you say, okay, if it ever gets right, that has the potential to be the best first serve in the men's game. Yep. And And it's... I was going to say, sorry, one of my pet theories is that still, and this is why I will never give up on Alex Virov, why I continue to believe he's going to be the guy to break the dam, and once he wins one, the slams are going to come. Uh, because there are still 10 minutes in every match you watch Alex Virov, doesn't matter if it's a win or a loss, where you say, oh my God, this guy can do things on a tennis court that no one else in the game can do. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that for, for his size and his movement as well. I think... You know, he, he showed in Melbourne that, you know, when he gets his first serve in at a high rate, he's very, very difficult to beat. You know, he wipes Stan Varinka off the court there in, in a best-of-five format. So, you know, in the past, it was all about, you know, could he handle five sets, whereas now I think he's obviously starting to show that he can, and now it's kind of particular spots in his game. But, you know, looking at the match today against Manorino, there were a couple of moments there where he did have a second serve, and you know when you're sending down 135 mile an hour aces on your second serve, yeah. you know if you've if you've got the ability to do that, you know and and go, you know what what I'm doing here isn't working. It's nice to see him actually troubleshooting out there and, and trying something new. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And again, I just think when it looks right, it looks so right. And I know Tsitsipas is great. Medvedev is great. I think the, you know, Medvedev I think has a better chance probably of winning this U.S. Open than Alex Zverev. But I'm telling you, once those floodgates open, once someone of this next-gen crew wins one, I think a bunch of them are going to start winning, and I cannot mm-hmm. wait for that day to come. And you know, another thing I can't wait for is to wake up each morning and read your preview, Steve, obviously such a fan of yours. And for our listeners out there who want to start reading your work, where can they find all of it? Uh, so probably the, the main place to go would be on twitter so at ace underscore previews and there's links there to the website as well so acetennispreviews.com um yeah that, that's probably the the place to go i spend a, a fair amount of time there on twitter but yeah look trying to do obviously as, as much free content as i can at the moment and trying to do a couple of live streams with a few other other tennis people to you know just to do a little bit of commentary as such and you know i just enjoy watching it so i may as well try and in part what I'm thinking at the same time. So, yeah, that's probably the the best place to, you know, follow and come and say hi and happy to chat anytime. 
Oh, much appreciated. Would they, we can expect to see you every day through this U.S. Open? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I'll be backing up every day. And then same again for, for Roland Garros a week later. Yeah, well, then we're going to have to get you back on as we approach then. But, Steve, seriously, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It was an absolute pleasure. And, you know, don't be a stranger. Feel, ba- feel free to come back anytime. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, of course. Take care. Stay safe. You too. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Steve from Ace Previews. Again, be sure to go follow him on Twitter at Ace underscore Previews. Really appreciate him taking the time to chat. Of course, he is based in Australia, as you could hear from his beautiful accent. And so, you know, for us, I'm doing this at night on Friday. He's doing this morning on a Saturday. Really appreciate him taking the time to find some, you know, to work it out in his schedule to join us because, again, his advice as valuable as anyone who does this, uh, you know, who tries to do tennis gambling tries to make a little bit of pocket money out of it so really appreciate him taking the time to chat of course again for all of you listeners who are looking to get in on the action just go to dkng.co slash cracked open play along with our friends at DraftKings if you have hit on every ace of the day we have offered you through this U.S. Open you are currently up and that feels like a victory, folks, especially given the uncertainty we all had heading into heading into this five and a half months without tennis. So, you know, we're rounding into form coming to the second week. So, of course, we hope you are playing along with us at our friends at DraftKings using that promo dkng.co slash cracked open to do so. Of course, if you've missed any of the action, we recap. Recap, recap, hey, great shot. Recap each day's event on our mini break podcast. Jamie McDonald joining me every day thus far this week. Also had Mike Cation on to talk about life in the bubble, the PTPA, everything going on in the tennis world. Uh, so that was a great conversation as well. And again, we will be talking about what things are looking like, giving our preview heading into week two. Jamie McDonald with Matt Stachowiak, our usual Crack Rackets crew, joining us to do just that throughout the weekend. So be sure to like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the mini break podcast cracked interviews and inside out podcast be sure to subscribe to our youtube channel as well and if you've missed any of our content just go to our website crackedrackets.com twitter instagram facebook youtube it's at cracked rackets for your immediate updates you want to message me directly i'm at great shot pod shout out as always to our super producers max fliegner and daniel westoff for the <laughs> of an iron job they do day in day out making all of this possible uh again we are so grateful for all of our patreon subscribers as well who without their continued support we really would not be able to do this not be able to have two daily shows not be able to break the sort of stories like we did this week with ben rothenberg and if any of you missed that story go find it on our website you know we found out what the guidelines are going to be for the players who were exposed to benoit pair the pairs 11 is what we're calling the story obviously those 11 players impacted by these new guidelines uh if you missed any of those details you can find that story on our website but with that being said for my wonderful guest, Steve from Ace Previews, our super producers, Max Flickter and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.